The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric Franson, AJ Salveson. Hope you're having a good Thursday. Are you having a good Thursday? Yeah, so far it's been good. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. busy is good. Busy but Today is was busy, good. so that's today good. Today was busy. Okay, so it's good. In a good way. Good. Good way. Whether you're listening to us on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, or streaming us online at 1069thefan.com, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here with us. Or if you happen to be listening to this at a later date when you're not, when we're not live, because we have a lot of podcasts that we make available on our website as well. Welcome. Appreciate you tuning in and joining us. A couple different things going on today. Uh, as we've said, uh, baseball still can't quite get their act together. Uh, you just heard, top of the hour there. Uh, the two sides met together on Tuesday night in Arizona, and the word from Mount, or excuse me, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred was, uh, we're, we're working something out. I explained kind of our position, where we want to be, and reiterated it multiple times. And I think we're making some progress, moving closer to what the players want. And then today, the union releases a another counter proposal, which Rob Manfred's like, I thought we were working on a deal, and you've come to put together another new deal. Ah. Oh. Word baseball, come on! It just it, you, like we. I think we've said it time and time again, Eric. They can't get out of their own way. Either the player steps into the little mouse trap, and then the MLB does it, and then vice versa. And it's just been you know every other on every other mouse trap that you've seen. Um, and this is a huge problem. And in, in fact, for the uh, uh, in the proposal in the in a statement from the ML. Uh, B Players Association Executive Director Tony Clark said, quote, we believe this offer represents the basis for an agreement on a resumption of play, end quote. Um, but there's so many questions to this. I just, what's the difference? I don't see what the difference is from the last offer they got. What uh, am I missing I, I here? I guess they're about $250 million apart. Okay, so it's okay, so it's $250 million difference. But yeah. for the love. But, but Major League Baseball says, okay, look, we propose 60 games. Here we go. Okay, let's make this happen. You'll get your full prorated pay. And then MLB comes back and says, nah, we want 70 games. They're trying to get as much money for the players as they can in this. If they're, they keep this up, Major League Baseball is just say, look, we have the authority to just do however many games yep. we want to do. Yep. So we'll do 50. Yeah. Um, some of the things that they laid out in their plan for Major League Baseball from the from the players was, uh, as we said, a 70-game season, July 19th through September 30th, full prorated pay, a spring training basically over a couple of days in late June, 26th to the 28th. Uh, they, they would agree to expanded playoffs for this year and next. Uh, they want expanded... Um, a split of incremental TV revenues for next season. Uh, there's a lot of different things that they have in here. I'm not going to go through all of them, but um, they want a universal designated hitter for this year and next. I actually like that, by the way. Um, they want to work together on any broadcast enhancements. 
They don't want to be unilaterally decisions made for them. Mm-hmm. And I can understand they want to weigh in. Like if you're telling me I have to do something for a broadcast purposes, but I'm not comfortable doing that just the way that I play the game, there should be some dialogue there, right? That <laughs> yeah. makes sense. But they want enhanced housing allowances in spring training. Why are we talking about yeah. next year's spring training yeah. when we're trying to get this season done? Well, is it no? It, wait, is that that's this spring training, right? June twenty sixth through twenty eighth. That's what they're talking about. No, that's a that's a well. I guess that's true. A spring training would be June twenty sixth to twenty eighth, and they want enhanced housing allowances. So wait, oh wait, time out. Did I miss this, Eric? What you were saying? The universal designated hitter would be in twenty twenty one as well. Yes, I'm all for it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, the, the Players Association said that clubs would have permission to sell advertisements or patches on uniforms for this year and next. So, Eric, out of all those uh, ultimatums, if you will, which ones stand out to you the most that say if, if they can get these in and these solved, we're going to play baseball this season. Is there any of those that stand out to you? I guess on the player side? Say that again. Okay, sorry. That question probably didn't make sense. It, out of all these, when you look at it, um, to the MLB, what, what one stood out to you that the players want the most? Are there any of these that would say, that stand out that say, you know what? If the MLB says yes to this, we're in. We'll have a season. If they say no to a couple other things, or does it all have to be unanimous? All have to be yeses. Um. Well, I think the 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 full prorated pay. We've heard that's been a big issue for them. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They want fifty fifty split of incremental TV revenues from these additional postseason games. Um. Yeah, I don't. I think there's a couple of things in here that are like, yeah, okay, those may be just bargaining tools. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, it's about money. How much money do they get their get their hands on? Can they get access to? I, mean, I can appreciate that they're including things in here that could allow for better marketing opportunities for Major League Baseball to help get more dollars into their coffers to help pay the players. Mm-hmm. I like the parties to collaborate on broadcast enhancements. Work together. Make sure the broadcast is fun for everybody to be able to watch. Because you always hear, right, that it's hard to watch nine innings of baseball. But if you can make it fun, mic up players, like what they were doing in spring training, or was it, I think it was spring training early, where they were micing up like Freddie Freeman on the base pass, or Chris Bryant, Rizzo, and he was telling stories to like Chipper Jones. That was fun. That was cool. I actually really enjoyed that. If they could do something similar to that, even in the playoffs, I would be all for it. I would tune in the whole time. I think, yeah, I think absent fans and other things that could be going on in the game. I think if it's just a for TV only, then let's make it a TV only type of game. Let's enhance the broadcast. Hey, two quick questions for you on this, though. That I'm not understanding. So, the fifty million to be transferred from joint funds to the commissioner's discretionary fund. What does that exactly mean? Uh, I don't know. Okay. And then the club's granted permission to sell advertisement patches on uniforms in 2021. Does that just kind of like what Bat NBA is doing where they put like their corporate sponsorship on a on their jersey or whatever? Yes, that's my understanding. Okay. 
Uh, I think it's major, as you said, Major League Baseball cannot get out of its own way. Yeah, I, they continue to, the to fight in the media rather than discuss in person. And I thought that this week we we're making some headway when we heard that Rob Manfred went to Arizona, had a four-hour meeting, and uh, with, with Tony Clark, thinking, okay, maybe they'll hash something out, person to person, get something done. Well. <laughs> They're still airing their grievances out of the media. Here's uh, you know, Tony Clark saying, in my discussions, we explored a potential pro rata framework, but I made clear repeatedly in that meeting that after that there were a number of significant issues, what he proposed, in particular the number of games, it's unequivocally false to suggest that any tentative agreement or other agreement was reached in that meeting. And he says, in fact, in conversations within the last 24 hours, Rob invited a counterproposal for more games that he would take back to the owners. We submitted that counterproposal today. And then Manfred, <laughs> he counters, I told him 70 games was simply impossible given the calendar and the public health situation. And he went ahead and made that proposal anyway. <laughs> like, guys, can't you just say we're working on a deal? We're trying to, we're trying to work it out. But they run to the media and they air their grievances in the media. It doesn't help. Yeah, because then you, and it's like when you play that game of secrets, right, where you whisper something to one's ear, to another, to another, to another, and like five, eight people later, you get something totally different. If you go to the media with this and you are trying to, as you say, air your grievances and can, you know try to get your message out, some are going to get it right, but some are going to get it wrong. And then you're going to have to go back and clarify what you were saying. You're going to blame the media for it, even though you are going to the media. It's uh, it's not going to work. They need to meet up face-to-face, hash this out, and tell each other what they want. And if they can't come to agreement face-to-face, then say, we're done. Uh, Eduardo Perez reporting on this, saying that the union is holding firm. You're seeing Major League Baseball move a little bit off the dime, but the union doesn't seem to be willing to move much on their point. I think I think they're going to dig their heels a little bit here. And, and again, the union has has said from all along, look, we're not we want 100 percent of the compensation that we're going to get um, when we get back on the field. They've been consistent with it. Um, it's not surprising, and and at the end of the day, you know they have not taken, uh, they have not given up even a two percent of it because they feel that for every dollar that's earned that they that they uh, that they're going to play for, um, they should earn during that time. They understand, um, they, they understand easily that there's been a lot of uh, money that's been lost in revenue from both the owner side. Um, and also from Major League Baseball side and from the player side also. So everybody's here at a loss. Um, it's unfortunate that we have not been able to um, uh, that that they have not been able to come to a resolution sooner. I think it's frustrating to many of us that are broadcasting and trying to and, and trying to go out there and broadcast games and, and and reading the news. But the players are sticking to their guns when it comes to this. Uh, all I can do is yeah, I just shake my head, man. Sigh. Yeah, shake my head. Uh, a little bit more from Eduardo Perez about the players that the, the they will not give up the grievance op- uh, option. Now, if Major League Baseball just says, you know what, 
we're going ahead. We're going to play 50 games, whether you like it or not. You agreed to this earlier. We're going to do it. They've been trying to negotiate. They've been trying to work out a deal that works for both sides. But if the union can't work it out, Major League Baseball will go to just the 50 games. But part of the reason why Major League Baseball hasn't instituted that yet is the fear and the option that the players' union still has to file a grievance, and they're still not giving that option up. The Players Association, from my understanding, the entire time from the first offer that was that was that was done early on to where they are now, um, and, and remember May 26th, it was uh, they, they had offered it was a, an 82 game regular season schedule starting in July um, after a 21 day spring training. That was MLB uh, MLB's first offer. Then MLBPA came back on the 31st and said 114. You keep going back and forth. And the less, the more we keep discussing this, the less amount of time there's going to be played. And the players um, feel that, look, there's been a lot, there's been just a lot of stalling going on here. And uh, they feel that they have uh, grounds for grievance. And I think this is where um, Rob Manfred wanted to get together with Tony Clark and, and just go mano a mano in one room and, and say, Let, let's, let's uh, make sure that that grievance isn't filed because they know that there would be grounds for it. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. I think, who do you think is more frustrated right now? Players, the union, or the MLB and owners? Fans. <laughs> That's a great answer. They're just sitting on the sidelines just waiting right for there, something to happen. Yeah. And it's not. Every time you think there's some progress, they take two steps backwards. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like they're a little bit closer now than where they were two weeks ago. They were pretty far apart a few weeks ago. But, man, I tell you, it's so frustrating that they continue to air these their, their grievances out of the media. Rather than saying, you know what, we try to submit a proposal, we're going to review it on its merits, and we'll follow up with them, and we'll see if we can work something out. Instead, they run to the media. <laughs> I sat down with this guy for four hours, and now he's saying this <laughs> and that, and this isn't what we agreed to. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I'm tired of it. Like, in fact, I was telling somebody today, um, you know, I'm ready to just go watch a full episode of WWE and just skip baseball for the rest of the way. Like that's where I'm at. I'll do it. Just time shift what's going on in Korea. We'll just watch the Korean <laughs> yeah. baseball. Yeah, we will. Put it on in prime time. We'll be fans of I don't even know what their team names are. As long as it's baseball. I'll do it. They're fake their fake crowd noise and their fake audience in the stand. I'll do it. I'll freaking do it. Oh, boy. It's nuts. So, again, there's uh, there is a counterproposal by Major League Baseball players, but there's frustration among the owners thinking they were making some headway on their proposal, and now they have to try to re- look at another counterproposal. We'll see if anything happens. Uh, I thought that maybe if we were going to be half glass full – if we're going to be silver lining people, that we could see a potential agreement figured out by the end of this week. 
I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, there's still some discussion about what's going on in the NBA for this summer. Um, Ajay, have you heard that there's some players that are floating the idea of creating a separate league now? Yeah, okay. So there's got to be some clarification because Kyrie says he didn't say that. But yeah, then so where did that come but from? But then there's like legit reporters saying he did say it. So which one is it? And do you, and by the way, I wouldn't put it past Kyrie, Mister. I think the world is flat, or the Earth is flat. I would not put it past him to try to create his own league after being uninvited, quote unquote, to Orlando, Florida, so he can't play with his friends. So he's like, well, "Okay, I'm gonna create my own league. We're gonna call it, uh, um, what's that, uh, Uncle Drew? Yeah, the Uncle Drew League. Thank you, thank you. The UDL, Uncle Drew League. Uncle Drew League." Watch it. I mean, you're gonna see, you're gonna see like Maya Moore. You're gonna see uh, you're gonna see Kevin Garnett. You're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna see Carl Malone. You're gonna see Shaq. Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller. Helps me missing in there, man. DeAndre Jordan. They're all they're all gonna go play. And they're gonna go play against Will uh, or uh, Ben Stiller's dodgeball team. <laughs> and uh, Cotton's gonna be the play by play analyst. I'm actually looking forward to that. If he's curious to see how uh, another league might work, just look at the Alliance for American Football or the XFL. Here's the thing. Like, what's the, what is he trying to pull? Because I guarantee you, Adam Silver is just laughing at him. I don't know. He's just a disruptor. He's not going to be a, a, an active participant. Uh, I think he's he's just trying to stir the pot a little bit. Uh, look, some of the things that this coalition of players that they are talking about, uh, I think there are some valid concerns that they have, and I don't want to to uh, you know put any of those concerns down. I think there are some legit concerns that they might have about you know uh, social issues about player safety, things like that. Um, but I also think that Kyrie Irving is known to get off the rails every now and then. Every now and then? <laughs> oh, man. It's it's nuts, man. He used to be loved in Boston, and now he's like a villain. Uh, everybody hates him in Cleveland, too. Well, not everybody, but a majority of people think he's kind of a punk in Cleveland, and he won an NBA championship there. Uh, yeah. So, I, and by the way, I thought he was healthy enough to play. So is he not playing then? No, apparently not. His shoulder is not uh, healthy enough that he would be able to play. And neither is Kevin Durant. Yeah, so Brooklyn will be out in four games. It's uh, it's just it's just amazing that like he became this like they they were on great like smooth ground for landing July thirtieth. Here we go, basketball's on its way back, and then Kyrie Irving comes in and just. I mean, tries to blow the whole entire ship apart. That's just amazing to me. And it's really dumb on his part, too. <laughs> just shut up and let him play. Okay? You can join in next year. Be a part of the fun. Let him play. Don't be a distraction. We've already got enough of that. Uh, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, some more basketball news. The NCAA making some decisions about resumption of activities for basketball teams. And uh, when can you do some summer activities? And then Sam Merrill getting some attention 
in a interesting mock draft. Which convinces Eric, who told me off the air, why Sam Merrill is better than J.C. Carroll. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember that conversation. Yeah, you said he was better than Ty Wesley, too, if I remember right. All right. Okay. I might say that. I might say that. Oh, shoot. Here we go again. All right. We'll talk about that coming up next to the Full Court Press. It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and AJ Salveson. 6136 just texted in. Use Admiral Akbar from Star Wars, leader of the Rebel Force. <laughs> Dude, why does that guy look like he's off of the, the Goonies? Sloth? Admiral Akbar looks like Sloth from Goonies. <laughs> Just know that your school is going to get made fun of for the next 50 years, and children are going to be terrified of your mascot for the rest of their lives. Hey, come get a photo with Akbar. Mommy, now! May the force be with you. Starting at 4 p.m. on 106 on FM, 1390 AM, and 106.9thefan.com. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, a uh, Sam Merrill in the news today a little bit. Uh, Sam Viceni for The Athletic. That's not really a mock draft per se as much as it is... Uh, evaluating the potential players that could be in the draft. That's the way to say it. It's kind of a mock draft. But he goes one through, gosh, how deep did he go? 100? Yeah, I think it was 100. I have to look. I didn't write that down. Are you serious? It was a lot. Yeah, I think it was 100. Pretty sure it was. Hold on. I got to look it up. Damn it. Hey, now. Uh, He calls it the NBA draft big board. Yeah, 100. My current top 100 players of the early entry deadline has come and gone, he says. There you go. So, um, uh, the highest rated player from the Mountain West on his list is Malachi Flynn from San Diego State. He has him as number 33. It's a good call. (laughs) Uh, John Hollinger wrote an interesting piece about Sam Merrill a couple months ago calling him the bad geography guy. A good player, but he just suffers from being in a location that not a lot of people can see his games or see how good he is uh, and deserves more attention. Well, now Sam Vicente says he is on board with that and lists Sam Merrill at number 50. A couple things that he says about Sam. says he'd be the oldest player drafted at 24 years old, but says, I don't think anyone has risen up draft boards as much as he has over the last few months. Uh, he points to his uh, how well he did in the Mountain West Tournament. He was the MVP. Uh, has done well in the interview process. Uh, says his ability to shoot at an extremely high level off of movement gives him a very good chance to stick. In my opinion, because of his size at six foot five and skill level in ball screens, Merrill is a better prospect than Kyle Guy, who got picked last year by the Kings. Merrill has gone from right around the end of my top 100 list back in early March to number 50. Holy cow, that's a lot of movement. It says, I wouldn't call him a certainty to be picked, as his defense does leave some real cause for concern, but I do think he has put himself in a position to where it's a distinct possibility. I'm a little surprised on this defense. Yeah, I'm getting kind of sick and tired of him getting dogged about defensively. 
Uh, and I think Tony wasn't entirely high on him defensively either. If I remember when we talked to him, the guy never made one, not one in his career, never made a all-defensive team in the Mount West Conference. And he said he was bothered by that. When he talked to him in that interview, he was bugged by it. Um, thought he was a better defender than what he was given credit for, and I'd actually have to agree. Look, to have to go through how many screens and such just to get open on the offensive side, to go on the other side, go through more screens just to guard your own guy, he was a good defensive player. A really, And he guarded their best player on the other side of the court. And it's not like the guys that he was guarding always had big career nights. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he did a fine job on it. No, him. I thought he did a great job. I think Malachi Flynn, like Malachi Flynn was going to get his, right? You can play perfect defense and he was still going to hit tough shots. Uh, he guarded Jordan Caroline last year when they played Nevada. He guarded the Martin Twins at one point. He guarded the best player on Houston's team last year or two years ago, I guess. I don't know what to even say now. Uh, but, again, he guarded the best player on the other side, not because he had to, because he wanted to, is what Coach Smith would always say. Uh, here's what Sam Vicente says about Malachi Flynn. He says his work ethic has been praised by multiple teams who have done the background work, something that is unsurprising given the leap he took this season into All-American status. One scout described him as, quote, the kind of guy that you have to lock out of a gym and lock the balls up in order to keep him from working out, close quote. Cool story. You have to do the same thing with Justin Bean and Sam Merrill. <laughs> I, no offense. I mean, that's that's... That's all you got for him, though, is that he has great work ethic. Wonderful. So does a lot of other really good college players. That's that's all you can give me? Uh, one other player that he has uh, from the Mountain West in his top 100 is Derek Alston from Boise State. Has him at number 58. Hmm. I don't think Derek's that good. I think he, he he's more of a project player. I yeah, think. I think he's going to end up in the G League. With all due respect to Derek, I don't think he makes it to the NBA. Hey, I, I was going to ask you, um, when you see Malachi and you see Sam, give me similarities and differences between the two on the court. Oh wow! I I think similarity is they're they're both they're they're gamers. I think when when I say that I I mean that they will do whatever needs to be done to help their team sure win sure um, regardless of the circumstances they're they're going after it. Um, I, I think I do see Malachi Flynn. Maybe the separation is that Malachi Flynn is probably quicker. Oh yeah, maybe a little more aggressive. Oh yeah. Than than Sam is. Who's a better shooter? Sam. Better defender. I probably give the edge to Malachi Me slightly. Too. Me too. Yep. Look, I became a huge Mal. <laughs> I became a huge Malachi Flynn last year. <laughs> I really did. He is a fun player to watch, and, I, and I've said it before here. He doesn't talk. He's like Sam. Like if there's one similarity. They're both really, really dang good basketball players, and they don't talk. They don't talk trash. They just get down on the other side of the court and play their position. Uh, and they both could back up their trash talk, too, with ease. Um, I think defensively, I do think Malachi's a little bit better. Uh, but I think Sam's the better shooter. And all-around player, I'd give to Sam. 
I agree with that. I think Sam can play multiple positions. I don't think Malachi. It's just yeah, one just position, a, one gear only. Yeah. Um. I mean, again, don't get me wrong. Malachi is a phenomenal basketball player. Like, look, watching him in person in that tournament, you just, I mean, you just there was no inconsistency with him. It was all consistent. Everything he did, Eric, and he and you know what he reminds me of is T.J. Haas in the fact that he was very fundamentally sound. There was no behind-the-back passes, flashy dribbling or anything. It was just straight up playing basketball. That is something I really, really enjoyed about him. Uh, 9315, you're crazy not to draft Sam and give him a chance. He will definitely not waste your money and hard work in, in protecting his skills. I would agree. I would absolutely agree. I think Sam gets drafted. I think Malachi Flynn gets drafted. I don't think Derek Olsen gets drafted. Uh, Yuli Childs will get drafted. If TJ Haas enters, I think he gets drafted, but he's late. Really, really late. Yoli Childs is number 97 on this list. What? What? He's going before Sam. I'm, <clears throat> I'm shocked to see Yoli Childs so low. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yoli Childs is going before Sam. He's got size. Great footwork, great post movement, and can shoot it from the outside. He's a very good perimeter shooter. He he proved that to us two years in a row. I, he, I don't need any more evidence on that. Yuli Childs is a darn good basketball player. I think he actually goes above above Sam. I'm not sure whether he goes below or um, ahead of uh, Malachi. Depends what teams are looking at. I think Malachi's one of the real knocks against Malachi is his size. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But he is tough, man. He's got, and he's and like you said, he's aggressive. He's physically aggressive, and that actually can work in your favor when you are a little bit smaller. Do you think Malachi starts in the G League? Yeah, he would definitely play in the G League. He'll do great too. Yuli Yuli will not play in the G League. I think Yuli plays in the NBA straight, like right out. Sam Merrill, I don't think he's G League either. That's crazy to say. <laughs> you think Sam will be on an NBA bench? Oh, yeah. I do. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. I could definitely see a team like San Antonio taking him. Yeah. Because they would draft later in the round. Houston included. He'd be I think, a second-round guy. I think Houston could see it. Houston could use some depth on their bench from yeah. that position. I think Houston would definitely be interested in He's Because, look, Houston is about spot-up shooters and run-and-gun shooters. If you can get something like Sam who can do that, Malachi is also really good at that as well. Fits really well in your system. So anyway, some good news uh, for Sam Merrill. Uh, just one person's perspective on this, obviously. Sam Viceni of The Athletic originally had him at the very bottom of his top 100, and he has shot up the charts. Nobody has moved as much as Sam Merrill has on this list, and now he comes in at number 50 on this uh, on this list. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that given opportunities to do personal workouts, then I think we would see him go even higher. Because a lot of these guys haven't even done workouts or really interviews with teams. And so they're just looking at tape. And some of these guys, maybe in an individual workout, like how well can they understand what they're trying to throw at them? How mm-hmm. well can they adapt? Mm-hmm. How well can they pick up the system? So that really makes a big movement for a lot of, some of these guys. 
So uh, anyway, kind of exciting to see what could happen with Sam Merrill. All right, uh, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, the NFL in the news regarding COVID-19 and coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci made the rounds today in a lot of different sports outlets talking about what the NFL might need to do in order to have a, a season. Can they have a regular season? What changes will they need to make to how they conduct a normal week and a normal game day in order for them to play games? We might hear a little bit of that here in this week in the NFL. If not, we've got more coming up on the other side. Talking the sports you care about. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, we've been talking about Changes that the NBA is doing so they can resume play. The NHL is doing something similar, um, limiting how many people can participate. NHL is just jumping right to the playoffs, uh, and they're doing it in a a few isolated uh, locations. The NBA is going to the bubble in Orlando at Walt Disney World. Um, But what about the NFL? We haven't heard much about them and what they might do or, or could do or may not be able to do, considering that there's still high rate of infection going on in some areas of the country, and uh, changes they may need to make. Uh, we heard a little bit there from the NFL uh, update. There, uh, Doctor Anthony, uh, or excuse me, Doctor Alan Sills, has uh, made some comments and some recommendations. In fact, Doctor Anthony Fauci, who has become really the the face of the uh, the medical profession. Uh, the epidemiologist who's right there with these uh, White House briefings and the, the national, I guess, leader on what's going on with coronavirus and how it's being handled. And um, he, he, his comments here recently said, and I quote, unless players are essentially in a bubble, insulated from the community, and they are tested nearly every day, it would be very hard to see how football is able to be played this fall. If there was a second wave, which is certainly a possibility and which would be complicated by the predictable flu season, football may not happen this year. Close quote. Ajay, how do you do football in a bubble? Yeah, unless the Astrodome is being recreated, you don't. Uh, look, Dr. Uh, what's his name? Fossey? Fauci. Fauci. Um, is a, is a very smart and intelligent doctor. He knows what he's talking about. But I don't think his opinions can outweigh those of athletic directors, presidents of universities, so on and so forth, commissioners of conferences. I just don't see that happening. We are going to play football. I think we start on time, and I think we play a full 12-game to schedule at home stadiums with a certain percentage of fans. I don't know if it's full stands, but it's a certain percentage. I wonder if... By what he's saying, keeping players in a bubble, it's not like what the NBA is doing where you locate a bunch of teams into one geographic yeah. area and play all of your games in that area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it's just simply that um, like you, you've got to keep your players isolated. You, you, you can't have them going out into the public. Uh, you've got to isolate their travel, and uh, you've got to keep it maintained where they're, where they're at and under close scrutiny and close watch. Um, 
but uh, Dr. Alan Sills, uh, he has uh, been sharing some information on this as well, saying looking at what what the league and he's with the with the NFL and what the what the league is going to be doing on game day, some of their plans to try to mitigate any any spread among the NFL. I think there are a number of things you can do on game day. First and foremost, again, is look at the layout of the field, how many people are on the field, how many people are exposed to each other, and and can we actually distance some areas of the field and keep people apart. So we think that's important as a first step. Um, We're certainly looking at things about sterilization of equipment and, and, and everything, either down to the game balls and how we use that. And then I think you probably have heard in the media some, some reports that we are uh, looking with a, with a group of engineers very creatively at, at the possibility of some extended face shield mask type options that might be part of the football helmet because, um, again, we think there may be some things that we can do there um, to mitigate risk uh, from a respiratory standpoint. So basically spread players out more along the sidelines, uh, put uh, – you know, sanitize your surfaces, even changing out the ball or sanitizing the ball more frequently. You, you could do that, but you got to make sure it's not slippery, right? I mean, yeah, you got to make sure you have like, some grip to it so you're not just flying out of the hands. And then an additional something on your face mask. Yeah, like a cover or something? Kind of cover, I guess, or a face shield. You ain't going to get anybody spitting into somebody else's face anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> that, can't fight Can't him. do that anymore. Can't shoot through the mask. Um,. No, yeah, I mean that makes sense. I guess there's ways you can be cautious and, and and yet make it still effective. There's still questions though about what happens if somebody tests positive, um, and so uh, some more detail here about what what kind of adaptations they may need to take or, or to undergo through the fall. I think what we have to recognize is that we're going to keep in very close contact with the public health authorities, and we're going to respond to the situation at that time. Uh, we're not just going to put our heads down and say, here's what we're going to do, and, and we're going to ignore all those realities. And I think you've seen that approach throughout. For example, with the NFL draft, uh, we looked at that and said, okay, we, here's what we'd like to conduct. This is an event we'd like to do. How can we do that and at the same time still respect the, uh, the, the current public health policies and, and adapt to what's being asked of everyone at this time? So, eh, we'll see. I mean, the NFL has the advantage of, Sitting back and watching how other professional leagues, or what they are going through, mm-hmm. whether if Major League Baseball ever gets their stuff together, they can look at that. What the NBA is doing, NHL, they can look across the pond, Premier League, Bundesliga. There's other professional organizations that are resuming play and that are doing things. So the NFL has the advantage of kind of sitting back and monitoring, and then learning from some of those best practices of regular testing. What happens if someone's positive? How do you isolate them? How does that affect the rest of their teammates, the people that they associate with? Uh, And can you continue play even if you have somebody on your team that tests positive? So uh, that's it's always been the big advantage of the NFL through all of this is they really haven't been disrupted that much just yet. And they have the advantage of planning and, and preparing before it really gets going. The concern is that early stages of the NFL season could look okay, but what if things ramp up in the late fall in November. and we're getting right yep. in the teeth of the playoff? Huh? Yep. Yeah, November and December is where you're really going to have to keep an eye out for it. You're going to have to really do your homework, testing and such, and making sure everyone's on top of their A game and from trainers and staff and whatnot. 
uh, to make sure that these players are uh, are, are going to be in, in good care. Um, I think the same thing for football, too, because we're bowl games like during December. And that's then November, you have the big games. And so you got to be really cautious for that as well. Uh, but uh, again, I don't know. You can't really bubble it. It's it's it, that'd be kind of weird. Wouldn't make really a lot of sense either, to be honest with you. Um, and then you also, <laughs> you you I don't know, Eric. I gotta be honest. I when I the more I've thought about it, maybe I'm wrong. You can't have full stands the whole entire season. I, just, I don't I, see I, it. I, I don't think you can. I don't see it. I I, I think. You have to limit attendance to 20-30% capacity, whatever that is. But I, it's going to be really... Because this isn't going to go away. And when we get back into November and December, guess what? Their talk's going to ramp up again about having that coronavirus come back and impact people. It's coming back. And so, especially November, I mean, you got the big rivalry games, right? The Iron Bowl with Auburn, Alabama. The the rivalry game with Ohio, Michigan State, so on and so forth. And Utah State's got a couple of big ones, too, at home. A big one against Air Force, we hope, with hopefully some Mountain West title implications on the line. If that's the case, and we only have 30% capacity, it's just, it's just going to look different. It's going to sound different, but that's been kind of the theme this year. Now, the Division One Council did approve... A summer and kind of a preseason model for college football. They announced this yesterday. Uh, and uh, basically, they can, assuming that the first game is on September 5th, schools can conduct up to eight hours of weight training, conditioning, and film review per week from July 13th through the 23rd. Then, from July 24th through August 6th, they can conduct up to 20 hours of countable athletically related activities per week. So it's like weight training, conditioning, walkthroughs, uh, team meetings, film review, things like that. Um, but uh, so anyway, the, the college athletics is moving in a direction to allow football teams to start making plans and creating schedules to get back going with an assumption and, and an understanding that the regular season will start as planned in the fall. But do does the NFL make changes like face masks and sidelines and sterilization See, oh, and yeah. college football doesn't? Uh, uh, yeah. What about well, high school football? Uh, no, and, and I don't think high school does either. I don't think college or high school does. I think NFL can because they have the money to do it, right? They have the money to be able to put forth the 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 needed necessities to to make sure that everyone's in a safe you know in a safe uh, situation you know for players for fans for coaches for media so on and so forth I I think that's what you might see uh, college I'm not so sure I don't think uh, high school definitely not but that's probably why and there's a chance that high school may not be having a football season we don't know that that's also way up in the air yeah we still haven't heard anything from UHSAA when Man, when do you think we'll get there? we got to be getting there soon at some Should point. Should be soon, we hope. By the way, the uh, the Division One Council from the NCAA, they also approved men's and women's basketball summer activities. So uh, they can have up to eight hours of virtual non-physical activities through July 19th. Then beginning July 20th, required summer athletics activities may begin and last up to eight weeks or until the school's first day of classes 
uh, uh, or September 15th, whichever is earlier. So it gives basketball programs opportunities to uh, to resume some things that they would normally do in the summer with their with their teams. And those are really important times. That's yeah. where you really those are huge. Get to kind of play the the mad scientist with your lineups and who's doing what with their conditioning and learning new 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 plays, things like that. So that's a really important time. It's a crucial time for those teams. All right, coming up next here in the Full Court Press, we discussed this a little bit uh, last night. We had some fun with it. Uh, UNLV getting some pressure to change their mascot. Drop the Confederate soldier as their, as their mascot. Uh, we talked about how Dixie State, they dropped that mascot a few years ago. Uh, Ole Miss dropped a similar type of mascot uh, about 10 years ago. Who else may be under fire to change a, a mascot? Could the, uh, I guess, could the criticism start to ramp up again for the Washington Redskins? We'll talk about that coming up next in the Full Court Press. The Aggies are number one here. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Ajay Salveson, a text message coming in from 5338. Mr. Pessimistic himself. What up, dog? Merrill will never be on opening day NBA roster. Take it to the bank. Is he like a... So, I mean, 5338, we've had our ups and downs. We got off to a rough start, maybe. I know you met Eric in person and was thrilled by that. <laughs> um... Okay. Um, what, is he a Jimmer fan? You met him. I'm just wondering. Oh, he's a diehard I, Aggie fan. Are we sure? It sure seemed that way when I talked to him. So, Romero will kick his dog or something in the backyard one day? Did he, like, like I mean, what did he do to, what did Merrill do to 5338? Look, I can get that there may be some concerns about his age. No, 5338, more, it's more than just age to so 5338. And look, 5338, I love you, all right? I mean, you're you're probably a good dude and all, but my gosh, you hate Sam Merrill. What, has he said things disparagingly against Sam before? Yeah, scroll up, dude. Uh, he's not a fan of me. Got that part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, he said that uh, Sam will never make an NBA roster. Aj, get a clue. Oh, Sam Merrill will not be drafted. Get a clue, Aj. Well, five three three eight. It looks like you're gonna be licking your wounds on draft day. He's gonna get drafted. I hope so. <laughs> Uh, I he's, think he's he too could. good of a ball player not to. Like I don't know what. Yeah, I think he could. I don't know where this idea where he's not going to get drafted comes from. Like I just I don't get it. But hey, look, to each their own. Good for you. Hey, last uh, couple moments here on the show, we talked about how UNLV is under pressure to change their mascot. Yeah, Washington Redskins have undergone a lot of pressure over the years for a long period of time, and still maintain the Redskins <laughs> as their as their mascot. Um, how much longer until that gets changed? A year, maybe two. I think we're. Think I think there'll be significant pressure enough with the current climate that there actually yeah. is actionable change. Yeah, I think there will be. Um, 
Yeah, I agree with you. I think UNLV will get theirs done pretty quickly uh, within six months. I think it's what you said yesterday. I, I'm with you on that one. I think Washington Redskins are probably a year or two away. So, it's just a little surprised it hasn't happened to this point. What's the, what do you think? The, what is their name going to be? Washington what? I don't know. You already have the Capitals that buy into. Hey, so where wait, wait, at. wait, wait, wait! Time out. If Washington Redskins have to change their name, the Chicago Blackhawks have to change their name. But that's for for a specific tribe. Doesn't matter. The Washington is just a generic racist term. It's not a racist term. Like it's a like. Okay, so then like fine. Do you want to like Cleveland Indians? Wanna... They're they're drop. They're moving away from that. Wait, they are. They're no. moving away from that mascot that they've used. So what? They're not going to be the Indians. What you, just uh, Cleveland. And they used a big C. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Stop it! No, they're, they're not. They're dropping. It was called Chief Wahoo. They've dropped that uh, logo. They've dropped that. So mascot. it's the Baltimore Orioles versus Cleveland. That's it. There's no way. I don't know if they've officially dropped the whole Indians. They will they're definitely have to, moving man. away from some of their previous stuff that they used to have. You can't be the Indians. If you can't be the Redskins, you can't be the Indians. Oh. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. We've had a little time to digest the NBA's 100-plus page guideline for restarting in Orlando. Baseball issued 67 pages of rules. Just wait till the NFL comes out with their manifesto. Just think about how big and complicated their regular rule book is. I get it. The leagues have the best of intentions, or at least the most profitable of intentions. They want to keep their seasons alive. But writing a guideline and making it all work in reality are two different things. There are multiple challenges. First of all, keeping the coronavirus at bay. But when they set up all these rules, they also have to deal with unexpected repercussions. What about the stress players are going to feel in these situations? What if players or staff break rules? What if circumstances change? It's mid-June. The country will look a whole lot different by, say, another month and a half. It's good to have plans, but everyone has to realize even the best plans may have to change at some point. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.